my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Amy. And this is What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. And today we are super excited because we're trying something new. We are going to be the first ever live podcast that is born out of our favorite mom conference, Mom 2.0, a conference that Amy and I have been attending and speaking at for years. And this time, because we are in the age of a pandemic, everything's online. So we are doing our podcast live and we were asked to invite one special guest. And we went back and forth over inspiring women that we wanted to invite. And you first suggested that we interview an actress. And I have to admit that I was a little bit skeptical because it is not typical of who we invite on this show. But that said, Marsha is different. She inspired me because 
She is a mother, she's a cancer survivor, uh, she's the wife of a cancer survivor, and she's had a really remarkable career doing a bunch of different things, and she's just this really real person with real stories and a really real career. There's something about Marcia that she's just different than the typical actress, right? She's had so much longevity in her career and she's very open about her ups and downs. Even just how she met her husband, which I think people are gonna love hearing that story, but she, there's something about her that is so genuine and just so warm and also so relatable. So I'm really excited for, for you to meet her. So let's jump in. Part of the reason we wanted to start this podcast is because we've always felt really strongly that we hear so much about you know what Jeff Bezos ate for breakfast and what Bill Gates likes to read and we don't hear enough of that information about women and women's stories and so we have always exchanged tons of stories about our lives but also the women we admire and so this podcast is an opportunity for us to interview our favorite women and the women who are icons of their industry. Last week we launched with a joint interview with Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach so I encourage you to go back and listen to that. That was um, definitely they shared things with us that they've never shared before and her their avid fans say that it was a lot of new information and part two of that interview comes out tomorrow so every Thursday we have a new episode that drops but in the meantime Marsha Cross has been a part of my life I'm lucky enough to say since 2005 um, when Marsha was pregnant with twins and she co-hosted my book party and I just immediately was drawn to her she is not only such a successful person but such a good-hearted thoughtful person that has come across through everything she does including her current activism her career and one of the things that I'm really excited for us to share with you today about Marsha's story that I think a lot of you will relate to is one um, she found love a little bit later in life and had her kids in her mid-40s um, and is now a cancer survivor and has gone through a lot of other things in her journey to the top. You might know Marsha um, most famously for two of her roles. One is in Melrose Place and the other is in Desperate Housewives. So Marsha, thank you so much for being here. We are just thrilled to have you with today. us today. Well, I'm very happy to be here. As I said earlier, I'm a little bit of a funny introvert, extrovert, but I'm really happy that you asked and I'm happy that I said yes. Although, as I said, the accolades for you two, writing books and children, and my goodness, you're impressive women. <laughs> well, it's so funny because when when um, when you were saying you're an introvert, I had said to Laura, when you first agreed to do this, I was like, Laura, you don't understand. She doesn't say yes that many things. I mean, she is like hard to get because she's shy and she doesn't love doing stuff like this. She she would rather just like leave it to someone else. And I think that um, that's one of kind of the most charming things about you in many ways is how humble you are. Um, one of the things I was going to ask about, just in looking back at your career that's so fascinating to me is there was a big gap between Melrose Place and Desperate Housewives. What was it like? Because I know that so many people who are watching right now, so many of you have probably had either gaps in your career or a roller coaster of highs and lows. How did you weather that? How many years was it? And, and what was like that like? You. Well, first of all, that is a fantastic question because people always want to know about the, you know, the highs and everything's great. And I remember that when, um, when I was doing Desperate Housewives, it was so important for me when I would speak to an interviewer to say, I really want to tell you about 
what happened the last 10 years because I think it's people will go like, oh, you know, everything just happens like that. And it was like, no, I mean, I did Melrose Place. It was not my dream job because I had come from Juilliard and I wanted to be, you know, a film actress and a stage actress. And uh, while I was doing that, I was uh, with a man and uh, he died of a brain tumor, which was horrific. Um, and so I stayed with the show and I kind of acted all that insanity out in that place, which was wonderful. And then when it was over, my career was really at a standstill because I was so iconic, right? You get, I was on a soap, so I'm not in the level of the career that I want to be at. And I'm now known as this thing. And, you know, it's like, it's just two sides of the coin. It's like great to, you know, I was heralded on that show as really, you know, bringing it to life. I mean, Heather, of course, you know, the main drag, but, you know, adding my own brand of crazy. And then I couldn't get arrested or I couldn't get any jobs that were of interest to me. And during that time, um, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much for someone who said she was an introvert. So I'm gonna make it fast. No, we want to hear this. So I took a class in psychology because I was always interested in psychology. So during that time, I took another class or I take a few more classes. And all of a sudden I went, oh my God, I have all my credits except for my clinical hours. Well, I guess I'll go get my clinical hours. And I worked in um, Beverly Hills at the Maple Counseling Center and I started seeing clients. And honestly, I really loved it. And I was at a crossroads and it wasn't a make-believe crossroads. It really was, okay, I have to decide. And right at that point, I had an audition for a show called Everwood. And it was really a girlfriend, as is often the case. It's the women in our lives who said, no, this is good writing. You're going to put on your big girl in her pants and get out there and do this audition. I was like, okay, okay. And of course, I got it. It's shot in Utah, so I kept going flying um, to LA to see my clients, then go back there to shoot. But I still thought, well, I'm really still going to leave the business because I wanted to have a baby. Oh my God, I'm telling you so much. And you I love it. Keep talking. <laughs> you, were sing- you were single at the time and you decided you were going to adopt a baby or what? how is that going to work? I wanted to adopt a baby. So I started looking into adoption. And when I got the audition for uh, Desperate Housewives, I went in there and I said, I would like to audition for the narrator because I thought, oh, I'm going to be a single mom. That would be the perfect job. But Mark Jerry was like, no, I want you to read for Brie or whatever. So I did that um, and then had a call back for that. And I remember on the same day that um, I went back to Utah, I got a phone call that I had gotten the part in Desperate Housewives and a baby, um, a couple that I had met with had agreed uh, to give away their child to me. So it was like, my wow. head just exploded. You know, after 10 years of nothing, like the universe just, I mean, who knows like why our lives, you know. I'll stop right there. Well, well I'm sorry, but we have to know what happened to that child because I know that you have twins. So how- ha- ha- That child didn't make it. I was, okay. I was going to, um, it was a little boy and unfortunately he did not make it, which was really, really sad and devastating at the time. I went on to make the pilot, the show got picked up. And shortly after that, I met my husband. And shortly after that, we had twins. So, oh my gosh, you know, it was like, which way is it going to go? But um, well, Sam has told me that she's heard from you, the amazing story of how you met your husband. And, you know, as Sam mentioned in the beginning, so many of our friends met their husbands later in life. So how did you meet Tom? Well, okay. So I had completely given up on meeting a man because when I got to be, 
36 or 37, at that time I thought, what am I gonna do? Date a man for five minutes and go, are you, you know, can you be the father of my child? This is not gonna happen, which is why I started looking into adoption, right? And then one day I was crossing the street and I saw this man from behind, I mean, it's crazy, and rolled up sleeves, white shirt, and he was writing, and it was a tiny store, and I followed him around. And I couldn't really see his face, so it wasn't like, oh, you know, whatever. And I and I just couldn't figure out what I was doing. And then I realized, I, I gotta get out of here. Like, this is stalking, this is so crazy. And I, I was leaving, and there was a woman outside. What kind of store was it? It was a flower shop. Okay. It's called The Woods, and um, it was a beautiful flower shop. And I heard him telling the um, sales lady how he wanted his flowers delivered, and he had a beautiful voice. And so when I was leaving, I said, who is that guy? Because I thought, well, maybe it's somebody, you know in LA how you've seen someone, you think you know them, I'm no different, right? And she said, oh, he's nobody. Which is like the best answer I could have heard for somebody I want to go out with, because it means he's like a regular guy. And she said, do you want to leave him your phone number? And I thought, not so i wrote him a little note and i said if it doesn't work out because i thought he could have been flower you know buying flowers for a woman not you know his mother and left my phone number (laughs) and then i left the store a little while later i saw him come running out and i hid in my car and i was like what have i done but then he called back and and then how long after did he call you well that's kind of a great story too because um well, two things. He called, and I don't know. I didn't get the call, which is very me. Like I'm, you know, I don't. This was way back in the day of answering machines. And his friend said, "Oh, she's not going to call you. Don't call her back." And he realized that he had dialed the wrong number because he did the wrong um, area code because he was in eight one eight at the time. Anyway, so he calls back, and it was the morning of the Golden Globes. My phone was ringing off the hook. We'd been nominated. You know, we'd all been, it was like a, such a fantastic morning. In the middle of it was Tom asking me out to dinner. And, you know, so I, you know, and said yes. And um, we met, uh, that was before the holidays, and we met after the holidays and dated for probably less than a year. And here we are. <laughs> oh, I have, yeah. that's amazing. Who was he buying flowers for? Another woman. There you go. But he says it wasn't that serious. So, you know, I feel like that was his call. And I think she's happily <laughs> married too now. So, yeah. And so you dated for less than a year, got married, and then you had your, your twin daughters. And so you were working while you um, got pregnant and, you know, carried twins. What was that like working while pregnant? And, and how did that go? It's so funny because, you know, anytime you do something in life at the age you're at, you do it because that's what you do. Like there was no question that we were going to have children. There was no question that time was running out. The fact that I was on this fantastic show, like now I look back and I go, that was ballsy. Like, you know, and I'm sure it didn't make Mark Cherry very happy, but, you know, he rolled with it. And um, it was really hard. I was very, very nauseous at first. Um, I popped. I mean, I just like, my butt went. The sound guy, the boom operator was like, Something's going on there. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you could tell. And then, and of course, with twins, you know, I was like, I remember squeezing out, getting married at the time, just being like, oh. And anyway, but I did it, you know. And then I had these two beautiful babies, and uh, the writer strike went on right after they were born, so I got extra time to be home with them. And and off to work I went after that, and it was actually wonderful. My dad works in B two B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey. 
And how was it different becoming a mother in your 40s than it might have been if you'd had kids 10 years earlier? Wow. Well, I don't know because I didn't, you know, it's like, it's like if I had a single child, who knows, right? Um, I certainly think in my 30s, I really wasn't right there. So, you know, I didn't have time, so I can't even picture it. Um, But there is certainly a, a very present feeling you have because you've been through a lot. So it's not, you're not torn all the time. So even when I was working um, and I was dealing with the pressures of being in, you know, having two big jobs at the same time, it wasn't, it was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. So um, I think now I see it more getting older. Like you don't want to be too old because we we are human and we age. So um, though it is possible, it's certainly lovely if you can meet you know, your partner earlier. Right. So, yeah. So take us through to your on, on, on Desperate Housewives for a long time. And then you're raising kids and Tom gets cancer. Wow. Okay. Well, that was, um, so I just flashed on that morning. I remember it was like near Thanksgiving and I would picture the girls, you need to trace your hands making the turkeys and the phone rang. And I heard him pick up the phone and I could tell that the doctor, or maybe he told me the doctor wants him to come back in. Something like, whatever it was, I knew. My blood ran cold and I went, that's it. I know it, I know it. And sure enough, he had throat cancer. And the only thing I can say is that much to my surprise, my boyfriend who had passed away many years early had, had died of a brain tumor. And I am, te- I am not the most brilliant mother, like details, you know, the day to days, their milk in the fridge, like all that, you know, my friends know, but I was, I'm great in a crisis. And I was, I became like as fierce as you, I mean, we flew here, we flew there, we saw every doctor we could, I learned everything I could. Um, and then ultimately he made his choice of where he wanted treatment and we stayed here and I was working, I had two young kids and I was taking care of him. So I would go like from work to the hospital, to the kids. That was a really crazy, crazy time. And luckily he's fine. So yeah, it was, that, it was scary. That is scary. And you know, I wonder, Sometimes I think in the most chaotic parts of our lives, they're the scariest parts. We don't remember the day to day. But I read something, an article or an interview that you gave where you talked about how your twins were so little that you didn't yeah. tell them about Tom's cancer because it wasn't abnormal to them. Whatever your normal was, was normal right. to them. Absolutely. Um, do you remember what it was like trying to parent through grief or fear? Well, they, yeah, they, they didn't know. So that, you know, he was just home. When I look back at the pictures now, I go, <gasps> but at the time I didn't feel that way because honestly, even as the, for me, as the caretaker, all that gets shut down. I was not weeping. I was in action. Right. So I'm not like, there was only one time post that when I was thought maybe in a recurrence that I remember feeling that fear that could actually melt your body. But while I was taking care of him, there was just no way that he was not going to make it. It was just a question of what do I need to do today? What prescription needs to be filled? And, do, and I also, as I say this, I think of the people that were in my life then, my, my an assistant who was handled like insurance things and all that. And I had uh, a great nanny or two, you know, like I had a, I had a house full of help. 
So mm -hmm. I cannot imagine having done all that without, you know, full support. Um, sorry, that's a side note. For those of you, if anybody watching, thank you. I love you, Jeffy, Jaja, Jen. Anyway, um, you asked me. Oh, so, but they were fine. They were just, he, Tom would be sitting there like, it was like he was a junkie in the living room because it, by, by the end he was in so much pain that he was on so much narcotics because throat, I wouldn't wish it on, well, maybe one person. No, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. No, I really wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, so, but they, they didn't know, like, Tom would put in a feeding tube and so sad, we would pretend like she's going to go eat and put in a feeding tube or he clears throat a lot. So they'd be like, <laughs> you know, and it's just kids are mimics, you know, they don't, but they had nothing on it. So it didn't, didn't really, they didn't notice. It's interesting, you know, kids, they just roll. They didn't know any different. I, yeah, no, I get that. My kids are young. They're one to six. Yeah. And they've just kind of rolled with this change in life with the pandemic just kind of seamlessly. Yeah. Oh, right, totally normal that we don't do anything or go anywhere anymore. That's cool, right? right? Like they don't even notice that it's abnormal. Yeah, even my kids, they really don't complain much. They're 13 really? and it's like, okay. You know, they just, I'm sure they'd like it to be different, but they're okay. Well, and then in the last few years, you had another just awful health scare and diagnosis and at that point your kids are old enough to understand what was going on yeah i think that in many ways was hairier because because they were older and i was really worried about what to do whether i wanted to go through treatment here or go to another hospital and stay out of town because i just didn't know how i would be through it and i didn't want to scare them and ultimately i wanted to staying home and I had unbelievable round the clock girlfriends who took care of me. And then my husband, who's less of a nurturer and more of a guy, guy, get it done, da, da, da. You know, he like took care of those girls, like, you know, hence like fabulous, just, he did it all. And, um, and then it was a little hard coming back from, because I think, even though they don't talk about it, I, I, I noticed little glitches of like, when you start to realize like, Maybe they didn't think anything was really going to happen to me, but that there's that possibility, you know, is always, it's, it's jarring. Like your mother's not supposed to be sick. It's your childhood. It shouldn't be hers. It's that, it's yeah. that feeling yeah. as our kids are, I know our kids are very similar in age and I do feel like they're so kind of reactive to everything that goes on with their parents at this point, because yeah. it's always in relation to them and what they're going through. When you were first diagnosed with anal cancer, what was that like for you? Do you remember that moment? You, you, you remember Tom so vividly. Do you remember your moment? Well, I can tell you, and I think this is really important, although millennial moms are probably more dealing with diagnoses of having HPV right now, which we should talk about. But um, you know, as a postmenopausal woman, I was in, I, I was supposed to go to my gynecologist. I hadn't realized I hadn't been there in so long. I'm like, I just want to renew my prescription. She said, no, you have to come in. And I'm annoyed because I feel like I just, I feel like I was just there, right? Because life goes like that. <laughs> so I go in and I love my gynecologist. She gives me an exam. And the next thing I know, she says, she goes out, makes a phone call, comes back. I'm on the phone checking in. She said, I want you to go down and see this woman down the street. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I feel a little something. I was like, okay. I left and I thought, oh, I'm gonna miss my daughter's basketball game. 
am I really going to go here? I don't want to miss it. She just made an appointment. I should go. I went to the thing. This woman gives me an exam. She comes around the table. And I felt like it now, like it was a Larry David episode. She goes, I just want to tell you, whatever it is, it's curable. And it was at that moment that I left my body and was like, what? Like, whenever you say curable, you know it's in relation to cancer. So I didn't know what. And the next thing I knew, they were scheduling me for a biopsy. Like, it was Halloween was the next day. It was the day after, as soon as they could get me cleaned out. And, and then uh, from there, it went on. I kind of went into a state of denial. I had a couple of different biopsies. It took a long time for me to get my head around the fact that it was actually real. Um, but that being said, it was real. And uh, I did have to go through treatment. And I'm fine. I'm so grateful because... And any women you know who are going to the gynecologist or have any symptoms, and by the way, I had zero symptoms. This was just because she does digital rectal exams as part of her. She just retired, old school, super thorough, and she just happened to feel something. And um, that's really, I'm now working with a, you know, a, a group of uh, a new alliance, the HPV Alliance, to get this sees kind of nobody's department, the anus, nobody wants to claim it, nobody wants to talk about it. I frankly am in awe of it now. So, you know, it has to be taken care of, right? It's part of our body. And um, HPV anal cancer is on the rise in uh, postmenopausal women. Um, so, and, and then for young women, of course, what I didn't realize as I was going through it, and I learned from reading my computer endlessly was that there was all of this shame that people around the world across America were telling people they had some other kind of cancer and they were embarrassed and and I, I am really old school in New England I was like this is ridiculous it's your anus like you didn't do anything you know I don't I don't have any shame around that I didn't feel like I mean I haven't had a wild sex life or anything you know I did get married later so I don't know um but I just really, and that's the only reason I came out and talked about it was because I hated that people were A, going undiagnosed because they were too embarrassed to go to doctors and, and B, living with all this shame. And I just thought, you know, that's not necessary. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. 
Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. talk about HPV because I think for people a lot of people don't even understand it and I will tell you that I didn't understand it either because honestly had I truly understood it I would have known or thought okay my husband had um, HPV related throat cancer Um, he had had a biopsy to prove that that was true but it came back inconclusive but any sort of middle-aged man who's not like smoking incessantly or drinking a lot is has probably gotten it from HPV um, of course, I wasn't adept at HPV, then I get it. So that's why I finally learned about it because it's all interrelated. Now, truthfully, we could independently have gotten it years ago and just this could be completely unrelated because um, it's a virus, much like the virus that's going around now. Um, almost everybody gets it if they're sexually active. It's very easily transmitted past. You can even get it kissing. You could touch genital fluid or, you know, like it's just, it's ubiquitous. And the difference is, is that in, um, in some people's bodies, it uh, will like, I guess in my case, took up residence in the area of the anus, or it can be in your cervix, which leads to cervical cancer. It can be in the vulva, it can be in the penis. Um, so it's like seven different cancers. And then, um, so what you have to do is you have to get checked for HPV and then you have to monitor it because it can 
become cancerous. Um, and the way to treat it really is by having an incredibly strong immune system. There are uh, procedures that they do. Like sometimes they, um, it's called a leak procedure. They go in and they try to take the cells out and try to stop it in its tracks. Um, so, so there's a lot to it. But the thing is we have to stop being ashamed about it and, and talk about it because um, it's important. It causes like 7% or 9% of all cancers. Um, and it's, it's it just, easily, you know, we all, we all get it at some point. I mean, oddly enough, I had never tested positive for HPV because we only do a cervical test. But now probably a doctor would say, look, you, you're married to a man who had HPV related um, throat cancer. We should do like an anal pap every year or whatever to make sure. I know none of this is like fun to talk about. They're like, you know, anal, I'm really going on, but, but I, I can't back away from it. It's like, it's just the way it is. And everybody has sex and, you know, we all have these bodies and, and this is just the final frontier of what we are afraid to talk about. But, but I think it's so important. And I think, you know, I've had the HPV vaccine. I'm 40, but I got it right when it came out some years ago, and I have four daughters, and of course I plan to have them vaccinated, because you're right, I mean, something like, I read like 85% of people get HPV at some point in their lives. That is almost everyone, yeah. right? So it's something you yes. have to talk about. Yes. It's wild that we don't talk about it more. Yeah, and it's weird because I grew up in the, um, the herpes generation, right? So everything was, that was the big shame, like herpes, 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 oh my God, you can't have herpes. Have we ever heard of HPV? I didn't even know that when they were doing like a pap smear, they were they were checking for an abnormal pap, which is caused by HPV. Did your gynecologist ever tell you that? No, because why would she unless there's something wrong with it, right? So you never you never even hear the word. Like it's, it's not It's unbelievable. So, right. So when you go to your gynecologist for the first time, what they should say, or, or in the beginning, is when they take a, a smear, they should say, This is um, this is to see to make sure that you don't have the human papilloma virus and this is, you know, and, and then teach teach your patients about it. But again, I'm kind of working on the doctor end with that for new protocols. And well, let's go back to the fact that you are an introvert by nature, and and no, <laughs> this is an interview. You have no choice but to talk. But <laughs> but but you're an introvert by nature. But then you're speaking out about something that is notoriously private. Was that a big leap for you, or was it just I have to do this? Well, I said to myself, okay, I don't really want to do this, but I'll do, I'll do People Magazine and I'll just do my thing and be done with it. So I did that, but it didn't really cover the medical end. So then um, a friend of mine was friends with uh, John LaCook, um, who works for CBS News, and he's a gastroenterologist. So we did a much more in-depth piece for CBS. And I think that I didn't watch it, but I know that was like really all the details and, and was much more informative. And then, um, and then I thought, well, that's it. And then there were all these um, horrible, I guess, like, I, I don't know what it was, but a friend of mine, a young person, of course, went, oh, did you see something went viral? And basically it was some nasty thing, you know, regarding my husband having, you know, anal, you know, like, as you can imagine. And I remember I got really mad and I called my, um, my doctor um, and I was like, and he said, yeah, this is why you're not hearing from Michael Douglas and blah, 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 because, you know, it's, it's not fun. Mm -hmm. And I was really like, I got my knickers in a twist. And then I thought, oh, stop it. So what? Of course, you're going to have people who are going to like do that. Like, of course, like get over it. You know, like anybody who wants to do anything in the world has got to, you know, just roll with it. Right. That's not important. 
But you are by nature, you are a people pleaser by nature. So having that kind of, I think anyone who's watching right now who's a content producer, creator, has had experience with haters or trolls or mean comments online, what was that experience like for you and how do you handle that? It bothered me, but I'm going to tell you, it really didn't last more than, you know, 24, 48 hours because I thought sticks and stones and, you know, it's just people who are uncomfortable with sex or trying to make a funny or, you know, want to be mean for a minute, but does that really, should I let them take me down and not talk about what I think could actually save people's lives because of that? I mean, it, it doesn't really even make sense. So I was mad for like, I, I was like, ah, F them, let them all get cancer. See if I can, you know, I did that for like a few seconds. Then I went, that's ridiculous, right? Look at our politicians, what they put up with. Look at, you know, anybody who has anything to say, it's just the nature of the world. You're always going to have someone who wants to make fun of you or hate you. Or I'm sure they're, you know, it's just life. How do you move forward without worrying about health issues? Now that you and Tom have both recovered, how do you not make that part of your daily life or daily worries? Well, I would say, if anything, it's the worry about it is, I just talked to a friend of mine who went through uterine cancer, right, a few, last year, and we were saying how when you first go through something like that, there's such an exquisite connection to life that, I mean, it's so beautiful. There's no drug that can make you feel that way because you're so in touch with, like, the treat, like, you're so blown away just by being alive. And as you get into your life, you take every search, take everything for granted again, right? So um, I'm not continually worried about my health. I certainly do know how finite time is and that life can turn on a dime. So I am always living in gratitude that, wow, I don't really have any problems. There's a pandemic, but that's, there are people who are really suffering. The fact that I'm in my house is, I am not suffering. I know what suffering is and I am not. So. I think I live with it, but it just has made me more more grateful and but, but not with like, oh my God, I'm gonna be sick tomorrow. I'm not like that. Right. Right. Thinking about the connection to life that you talked about when you go through something like this, and then pivoting back to what we were talking about with people who are leaving hateful comments or saying mean things online, there's a flip side to it too. And that because you shared your story publicly you probably were able to connect with other people who were going through something similar. Did you meet people along your cancer journey because you were open about it? Yeah, I have to say those are some of the um, like most satisfying, happiest. It's like, the, it's not here anymore, but I had a chart because I'm not very good with social media, but I would look on my Instagram and I would see somebody trying to get in touch with me or want to talk to me. And so um, I would, you know, I would reach out as much as, you know, <laughs> didn't miss it, you know, God forbid. I don't, I don't know how you, anyway, I, I could be better at it, but I, I was always so happy to get on the phone or talk to somebody or hear somebody say, because of you, I went to the doctor and we felt, but you know, like that, I don't probably, there's nothing more in my, nothing higher in my life that I could do, right? To help somebody like that. So that makes it all worth it. Yeah, I mean, that compared to a few nasty comments, who cares, right? So over the course of your career, you have come into your own even more than ever before, arguably, and you're using your voice more than ever before through your activism, whether it's health or politics. How do you inspire your girls to use their voices at a younger age and just start adulthood that way? 
Wow. This is, this is where, you know, I, I worry, I worry that I'm not, um, you know, I want them to be passionate like I am, right? It's like, you can't, they're 13, they're, you know, they're, they're developmentally where they should be. They're great. They're, they're compassionate. They're empathic. You know, they're not, you know, they're not like starting new causes or doing anything. And I, I have to be careful not to go like, okay, just keep watering them. Just keep, you know, living your life, showing them what you think is important. And I mean, even right now, I'm really, 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 as like everybody else, you know, wanting to show them every racist movie and book, you know, and, and then I listen to their teachers, you know, my, our kids are at the same school and they are, I mean, every single class they're weaving into, you know, even their dance class talking about systematic racism and dance. I was blown away. I thought, oh my God, that, of course it's like in dance too, right? So they are getting it, you know, so as a mother, it's like, well, you're a mother, but you don't want to like suffocate and yeah. tell them who to be, right? So there's a fine line of nurturing them and yet, and then how do you tell kids, oh, you're privileged and, and not like, get privileged, <laughs> you know, like, when I was your age, I don't know, right? I mean, because I, so I don't know if you have any advice on that. I would listen because I, I'm always <laughs> not sure. Well, I mean, I think the best advice is the role modeling, which you're doing already, right? It's if they see their mom using her voice for good, they're going to grow up to use their voice for good too. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So when people see you, do they expect you to be like Brie or to expect you to be like the villain on Melrose Place? How do you separate who you actually are and get them to see you for who you are versus the character they want you to be? Well, I think that was actually, I mean, professionally, that was very difficult because I found myself again having played an iconic role who everybody thought they knew, so they didn't want to see for another part because we know her. Oh, there I was again, right? so much for being a good actress um <laughs> but uh i would run into people and they would tell me you know i organized all this and i did it like this thinking that i was just like that like little like did i know if you could see off to the right or the left of this you'd see a lot of little messes right because i'm not her and and i would tell them at first and then i realized later it's just like oh it's just breaking their hearts i'm just gonna let them talk and move on right uh, <laughs> but even i guess my my daughter had a tennis lesson she said oh so, uh, my, his name forget his name right now, but he said, oh yeah, he said, if he'd met you, he never would have known that was you because you're, you're nothing like your character. And I was like, yeah. So that was just the other day. So there, there is that like, yeah, but it was a part. Right, right. And will there be another huge part like that in your future? Well, I, I had assumed and who knows, I always thought my third act that there, there would be or that there will be, but I don't know. I know I, I've been kind of writing and working on something with some friends I'm not sure where that will go, but um, at this point, I, I, I feel like it would have to be something that I really cared about that was connected to my passions. Um, that, and so that's really important to me right now. Like it was great to play Brie, but it was a fun show. Like if I could do Desperate Housewives now, I would have some of them be Republicans and Democrats and <laughs> you know deal with climate change. And you know, like that's where I am. So I want to do something like that. You see what I'm saying? It all kind of has to come together. And entertainment would be a great place to do that. Just saying. I agree. Yeah. Sam, should we, I know we only have a few minutes left. Should we, should we go through our speed round questions? Sure. Okay, and then do I get to ask you a question? Because weren't you on with Dr. Phil? Yesterday, I was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite controversial. My husband did not want me 
to do it because he was worried we'd have all these trolls. The subject was um, the men's movement, men, white men who feel they're oppressed um, by equality. And they're starting a men's movement and they hate women and it's uh, a whole thing. So on Sunday, my husband was like, I just think it's too risky. We've had safety issues in the past. Let's just forget it. And then Amy said to me, well, you're the same person that followed Steve Bannon to the elevator. So I really think that you can handle Dr. Phil. So I did, and it was great advice, and I'm glad I did it. So I will let you know when it airs. But I was about to get on the phone with Sam's husband, Mitch, who I love, yeah. and explain that, you know, this is a woman who, you know, confronted Steve Bannon in an elevator. She can handle herself on the set of Dr. Phil to take whatever these, whatever. <laughs> Right, I'm glad. have to hear all about that. All right, lightning round. Let's do it. Amy, you asked the first question. Marsha, what is your morning routine? Coffee. <laughs> I'll do a plug. I have this new mug that like heats up. What's it called? Oh, God. Ember. Anybody have, anybody have an ember mug? And you put it in and it stays hot for as long as like you have it in there. So like, oh, okay, okay, I'm writing that down. That down. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. Amazing. It's a little overpriced, but it's worth every penny. I love it. So that's my morning. That and, you know, seeing the girl and seeing my husband, which is nice because, you know, it used to be stress, right? So now it's just like, hi, hi, hi. We're not up at six o'clock. And so it's actually kind of a very gentle morning. Go pandemic for that, right? I mean, <laughs> what are you watching right now on TV? Oh, my gosh. Well, I have a few things going on. My husband and I were watching... Um, the Americans for the first time we just started. We're also looking at a show called The Great, which is way out there and so fun and really dark. And um, and then I just started watching, this was kind of research for this project I was working on, Love Fraud, where about the women who were taking advantage of, there's one more episode, I think. So like, but I don't watch a lot of television. That's, that's a crazy thing. So by the time the night rolls around, we try to squeeze it in. So what are you doing at night if you're not watching TV? I don't know. I feel like the day, by the time the kids are, you know, have dinner and, and the kids are going in and out, I do a little Rachel Maddow and then probably catch up on the news, probably more than I need to. And then I get tired. <laughs> are you so an early? Are you an um, early? I'm not that early either. So, you know, just, uh, I'm just not up, you know, I think it more has to do with the kids. If we were just home by ourselves, you know, it's like, I'm in there, I'm like, okay, this is really what it's like. I want you off the computer, it's nine o'clock, I'm taking your computer, you know, like, it's like that, right? Oh, no, 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 you know. Oh, the dog needs to get out, it's life, yeah. All right, final question. We know that you are really into Shannon Watts, who is the final keynote at the Mom2 conference. Look at you swooning. <laughs> what, how did that start? Have you met Shannon? She's like a beetle to me, like. <laughs> I just feel like, um, God, if I remember this correctly, I think it was right after Sandy Hook, and I think it was her. So there was a vigil at um, on Wilshire and Federal Federal Building, and I just remember driving up to school that day, you know, and um, this idyllic drive of Bel Air, and to pick up my kids, and and there were other kids that were gone, and so I went there, and and, and she started, I think, then. And, um, and I'm like, I told you, I'm not good. I don't have any administrative skills or whatever. I have a lot of passion. And the fact that she just started and just did this thing. And she is, you know, with the, she's with help, she's changing laws. And, you know, I just, 
I'm tired of reading about people getting killed. And she's actually doing something about it. And so she is like big time hero. That's amazing. You know, Sam and I both agree that she's a hero. She's something else, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, now you know I talked to a lot of interviews. <laughs> Well, Marcia, thank you so much for giving so much of yourself to us today and your time, and we adore you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to call you and find out about Dr. Phil. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling now that you all will have fallen in love with Marcia as we did. I could talk to her for hours. And one of the things that I think is so neat is that her idol, you know, everyone has their own idol, right? Like everyone gets starstruck. Like if I met Eminem, Amy, I would be so starstruck. (laughs) Do you know that I love Eminem? No. No. Sam, how do we not know this about each other? I love Marshall Mathis. Me too. I'm literally (laughs) obsessed with him. I am too. Oh my gosh. And he just gave his song, like, you know, what is it? Lose Yourself to the Biden campaign. I just think he is the coolest human on earth. And Eight Mile is like my favorite movie. Oh my gosh. I know there's a reason we're best friends. There you go. Uh, (laughs) It's all for you, Marshall. That makes me so happy. We're going to have to have him on our show. Absolutely. I think so. Uh, in the meantime, though, Marsha is starstruck by one of our other guests that's coming up, Shannon Watts. And I just think it's so fun that, like, that's the person that makes her starstruck. And I think we should start asking people that. Who makes you starstruck? I love it. I think that's great. I think there's kind of, like, the common theme. Amazing pu- women being starstruck by other amazing women, and everybody has some random connection to Oprah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Hopefully you've also subscribed to our YouTube channel where we chit chat and um, it's a place for you to get either in love with us or sick of us, either your choice. (laughs) Um, But we talk a a few times a week and we post it. um, It's, you know, usually they're like eight minutes long, 12 minutes long, and we post our conversations on YouTube. And we also would love for you to connect with us on social media. And we want to thank our production team at Large Media, L-A-R-J, as well as our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. 
We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.